0: Glad you guys are here to Ezra. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to continue today. Uh, we're going to wrap up our word for the year is this word revival. We're not wrapping up the word for the year, but we've been over the last few weeks just kind of sharing some things that we believe are important for revival to happen. Now, that word revival means to restore something to consciousness. That, that, that word revival means to, to, to put something back in its proper condition, right? If, if something needs reviving, it, it, it needs to be awakened. It, it needs to be stirred. It needs to be shaken. It needs to be, be brought out of dormancy, you might say, right? And I'm telling you, there's not a better word I think that's needed in the church of Jesus Christ than that word revival today. We need to be awakened we, we need to wake up from our sleep and our slumber. Are you with me today? 10 o'clock, huh? Come on. And those of you that are watching online, thank you for, for watching. And I hope that you'll, you'll stay focused. Chat it up with our pastors that are watching that feed right now. Let us know how we can come alongside of you. But the church of Jesus needs revival. Amen? Anytime you see revival throughout Scripture, and by the way, you won't find that word revival in Scripture, but oftentimes what you'll find is this idea of renewal, you'll find this idea of an outpouring, a fresh encounter, right? An experience. But anytime we see that throughout the Bible, it's this idea of God's people being awakened to an outpouring, a fresh encounter of his spirit that then propels them to be the people and to do those things that he's called them to do, right? Revival. Now, now, first of all, I think this is important. I read this this week, that in order to be revived, you first have to be vived. You know, you, you you've got to have life. If I want to be revived, I've got to have vibe in me. Are you with me today? And so we are praying. We're on this journey together as a church in seeking revival and praying for a fresh encounter and a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God. Amen. You know, revivals have been used by God all throughout history, throughout Scripture. We find time and time again encounters that 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 individuals have, we find encounters that, that, that groups of people have, we find encounters that even cities and regions have with the very presence of God, and it literally transforms and changes them. We know that even in our lifetimes, we've studied or we've maybe experienced some mighty revivals throughout the church, right? You go back to Great Awakening 1 and 2. I know none of us were present during that time, right? But then you read about Welsh revivals. You read about the Azusa Street revivals. We we, we read about Toronto and even Brownsville that are more current, right? Listen, from, from Pentecost, cost to the promise keepers. God has used revivals to do a great and awesome work within the body of Christ. Amen. He has shaken the church. He's aroused the church. He's he's brought the church. And every time, every time that revival shows up, there's this this new awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a fresh outpouring and, and, and believers once again become awakened to that reality of the Spirit's presence in their lives. When, we, when, we, when revival, this is hard. This is really, really difficult. When revival breaks out in, in, in the church, God has used revival in the church in times of trials and, and persecution, in those times in which the church was under tremendous Fire and difficulties. We know that when revival has broken out throughout history, that that oftentimes men and women begin to share the gospel in greater ways than ever before. We know that a lot of times people are sent With a gospel to proclaim. I see Mark McQuaid and Walt Avery over here. These two men just got back from Brazil and and, and were a part of Pastor Randy Clark's ministry there. Was it awesome? You guys are lit. I'm telling you right now, it's awesome. But we know that when revival happens, that that there are ministries and and, and organizations that rise up that are just eat up. They're compelled to, to be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. Amen? Revival is a big deal. It's needed. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about revival. And we've been sharing things about about prayer and the importance. Prayer precedes revival. Most of those revivals that I just described to you, and even as we look at the birth of the church in the book of Acts, listen, it all started through a prayer meeting, through prayer gatherings, when God's people Pray, amen, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? And pray, right? We talked about that. We also shared with you that repentance, something that we don't like to deal with in our lives. Repentance is this prerequisite for revival. You see that same verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says, not only should we pray, but if we will turn from our wicked ways, the Lord says, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Repentance is a big deal, and it's a prerequisite for this revival that we're seeking and that we're asking God for. Last week, Pastor Tim Jesco. anybody in the house last, last week or maybe online? Last week, Pastor Tim looked at that story of Abraham and Isaac and laying things at the altar and talked about how it's, it's painful and it's hard sometimes, that sometimes you worship and it's ugly revival can be ugly and it's difficult and many of you came and you laid things down willing to sacrifice so that you could have a greater encounter and experience with the Lord. Revival is a big big deal. And one of the things that that they're they're, they're Trademarks, I would call them of revival, that that when I've been reading through some of these major revivals throughout history and seeing major moves of God and works of God throughout Scripture, you're going to find that that revival oftentimes comes through prayer and fasting. 29 days ago in this very room, we had a group of people that that were challenged to begin to pray and fast and seek God as far as direction and for God to bring revival. Many of you are on that train with us right now. And you've been praying and fasting and seeking God for for the next move and what he wants to do even within this congregation. But here's the other interesting thing that I find when I study revival. Revival oftentimes starts with one individual that gets lit up by the Spirit. One person that catches fire. I'm reminded of, of John Wesley. Somebody said, man, what's the secret to to, to your preaching, and, and, and John Wesley began to relate to his personal time in prayer with God. He said, I simply would pray, God, set me ablaze and let others come to watch me burn. You see, this idea of an individual getting lit, lit. I'm talking lit in a godly way. Okay, come on, this is church. I don't know what came to your mind when I said lit, but getting set ablaze, set on fire for God. Most major revivals start when an individual Who gets on, who becomes on fire for the Lord? It spreads to other people. And for those of you that grew up in a church like I did with a book that we used to sing out of, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You know what I'm talking about. Revival. Revival. We need revival. Amen. Have a confession for you this morning. Is that okay? Um, I spent enormous amounts of time yesterday sitting in a leather chair watching football. I know it's Saturday and there were probably a lot of other things I could have been doing. I could have folded laundry, could have done laundry, could have put my folded laundry away. Uh, I could have done those things. But I'm just telling you, I, I, I shared with, with my wife, Angie, I said, hey, I said, before we went to bed Friday, I said, hey, listen, I'm praying that I can sleep till eight o'clock tomorrow." but I need to be up at eight o'clock because that's when college game day comes on, amen? Come on, ESP. anybody know what I'm talking about? Round of applause, amen. You know that's the best three hours on television. I got up at 7.54 yesterday morning, it was good. Normally it's 5.54, but it was 7.54, but I'm just gonna tell you right now, no judgment, but I sat in a leather chair most of the day yesterday and I watched football. Now, I did take a break to watch the Astros baseball game for a little while, and, and then I watched the Braves game. So even right there kind of tells you who my teams are in this series, okay? Uh, but I did take a break there. I did. I did go out late yesterday afternoon and mowed the yard and edged it because a real man mows his own yard. And, oh, I know, you're just trying to help the neighborhood kid out. No, you're lazy. That's what it is. You are lazy thats what its you are Lazy and now I have another confession to make. In my enormous amounts of time watching football yesterday, no judgment. I didn't shower or brush my teeth till 5:30 yesterday. I mean, it was just that type of type of day. Come on, somebody. And I, I already have brushed my teeth this morning. I and I showered this morning as well. But but it was just that type of day yesterday. I, I was reminded yesterday, and I studied. I studied my sermon. I, I, I did. And, uh, and prepare during commercials and things of that such. But, um, I, and I was reminded as I was watching football yesterday and getting ready for today about something that is really important in the game of football. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe this and imagine, but, but I used to be 40 pounds lighter when I was in high school. And I played football in high school. Uh, and I was a quarterback in, in high school. I know that's hard for you to imagine. Yeah, I was big. Most of the time in football, you know, the biggest team always wins. The strongest team, most of the time, if their O-line can dominate, oftentimes win. Unless you're, you know, Sutter Clemens over here, and he's agile and fast, like a ninja on the defensive end out there, and he kind of just gets around the corner. Um, but, but, but I was reminded yesterday, watching football and, and things of that such, that, that there is there's an important person when it comes to the game of football. Now, I know what you think a lot of times, they say, well, it's that quarterback, right? The quarterback always gets the press, right? Don't they, one? They always get the press. The quarterback always gets the press. But oftentimes, the quarterback is no good unless he's got a number one. Can you get it to me? Can you throw a, a number one, a Ryan Brandon receiver right there? That's good. Number one, stick, Ryan, stick, Brandon. Uh, You're champion chargers right there. I think the quarterback's a big deal. I liked playing quarterback when we won, I grew up in a small town in Texas. How many of you know that football is big in Texas? When you won, Mike, you were the town hero. When you lost, mm -mm, you better stay inside until next Friday night until you get a do-over, right? A lot of people think that that that, that quarterback or wide receiver is the big deal. Sutter, oftentimes they think that maybe, well, defensive linemen say, no, we're the ones. Defense wins championships, right? Right, Sutter? You caught that. That's good. That's good. Because a lot of times, yeah, can you get it here? my man right there. Maybe it's the defensive lineman. That's the big deal. Some people say maybe it's the head coach, the head ball coach, right? Or those guys that are holding up those big boards of whatever with a school bus and Kim Kardashian and a Krispy Kreme donut and a Buffalo on it, and the guys get their play as a result of that. I still don't know how that works, right? I mean, we just gave signals like this, but these guys are looking at Kardashian and say, oh, it's a jet suite. Okay. I don't get that. I'm thinking Botoxers. Anyway, but uh, anyway, (laughs) what is happening up here? This is so bad. This is a bad illustration right now. Should have rethought this, but it's not the coach. It's not the guys holding the cards up. It's, it's not the cheerleaders. I love a good band at halftime. Come on, somebody. I love a good band. And I think both our bands kind of Killed it yesterday in some competitions around this house as well. I love all of that, right? But to me, there's someone that is the key to football, and you may not have thought about it. It's the center. What? Yeah. I weighed 210 in high school. Yes, I just told you how much I weigh right now, but I'm working on it. (laughs) My center weighed 160 pounds, dripping wet. He was bony, but he was wiry. As Roy D. Mercer would say. My center was 160 pounds, but I'm telling you, my center, Gray Bill, was the most important person on the field. You know why? Without the center, and without him snapping the ball, the play that's been signaled in, the, the call that's been made, the personnel that are on the field, they cannot engage in the play. They cannot operate until what? It's snapped. Until the play is ignited, until the play is started with a hut or a, or a whatever they do these days, right? Just say, down, set, hut. It worked for me. But the center holds the power, does he not? I mean, and we see sometimes guys flinch and false start because the center, what? He's not started the play and you've jumped the gun. Or guys on the defensive side, Sutter would never do that because he's beast mode and he watches the ball. But but a lot of times, guys jump off sides. The ball's not, the play has not been engaged. It's not been started. I, I wanna tell you today that I believe that there's something that's important for us to see revival break out. Prayer is important, absolutely. Repentance, Absolutely. But I believe that there's a God in heaven that's waiting to start and ignite revival. The problem is he's waiting on us. We are the ignition. We, we allow God to move and bring what he wants to do. Much like that center snaps the ball and starts to play. The play's been called, I think, in heaven. I think that God's got a great play that he wants to run. There's a plan that he wants to execute, and he's just waiting on, check this out, you and I, to be willing to put that plan in motion. Today, I want to talk about personal revival because we need personal revival. We need that. We, we, we need a personal revival in our lives. I, I was reading about an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith, and Gypsy Smith says, I can tell you how revival's going to come. Gypsy Smith says, I want you to go to your home. I want you to lock yourself inside a room, and I want you to kneel down in the center of that room. I want you to pull out a piece of chalk, and I want you to draw a circle around yourself. Once you've drawn a circle around yourself, I want you to begin to pray for God to invade and bring revival to that circle. Then, Gypsy Smith says, then and only then, when that prayer is answered, will revival break out. We need personal revival. And I believe the key for us experiencing revival is not for us to say, hey, we've set aside this date on the calendar. And for these number of days, we're going to have these evangelists and worship teams come in and they're going to rain down fire from heaven. We're even going to put up a tent or we're going to rent out the AT&T Center. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? But we have 30 acres. We've got plenty of room. We oftentimes think that that's what's needed for revival to break out. But I believe that Gypsy Smith was on something. I believe revivals going to come when you and I, the people that are in this room and di- that are dialed in online right now, when we get into that place where we say there's nothing else that's going to bring it except for what rests within this circle. Lord, do a work in me first. Hey, come on, somebody. Would you agree with me that God wants the church to experience revival? I believe he does. And the church will experience revival when those inside the church begin to personally experience revival. If we want to see a move of God happen here at 1910 and at other churches throughout our area, listen, it's going to start... Mike, it starts with you. Chris, it starts with you. Steve, whew, I've talked to Sharon. You need revival. Just kidding. <laughs> I did that to him first service too, and I apologize. Did I not? He said, "Just bring it." You're right. Yeah? We need revival. Trace, starts with you. Sutter, talked about you. It starts with you as well. God wants to bring revival on this house, but it's going to start Zunk when you. Let God bring revival to you personally and do a work in you. We looked at a passage of Scripture a couple of weeks ago in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, John has had a visitation while being exiled on the island of Patmos and, 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 and the Spirit of the Lord shows up and begins to reveal some things to him about, we'll read about seven churches. And in Revelation chapter 2 John has a word for a church in Ephesus. And it's interesting about these seven churches that we read about, these these seven letters, that that, that there were a couple of these churches that were complimented on the things they were doing, only then to just be kind of reprimanded for things they weren't doing. There are some churches within these seven that that weren't complimented at all, right? Right? But it's in chapter two that we find this story about the church at Ephesus. And, and, and Ephesus was out of those seven cities that, that letters were sent to the pastors in those churches. Listen, the, the, the Ephesus was, was, was the most prominent city. In, in, in fact, besides Rome, it would be Ephesus that, that the apostle Paul probably spent the, the majority of his time in that one city, three years there. Okay, it's a big deal. Ephesus was well-known throughout Asia. It was, it was well-known there. Prominent location, made up primarily of, of people, of, of Greek and, 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 and people of, of Asian descent, okay? But it was a big, booming city, but it was also a very wicked city, filled with, with evil. But these, these, the church gathered there, these Ephesians were were being lifted up because they they had stood so strong against false teaching. They had stood so strong against the evil that was running rampant around them. They, 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 they were strong to the word and they had strong and, and sound doctrine and they're complimented in, 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 in the beginning of verse four. But then, well, there's something I have against you, says the Lord. We looked at a couple of weeks back that you've forgotten your first love. We, we, we associate that meaning that they'd maybe forgotten God, and, but most theologians say actually they, not necessarily they'd forgotten God, but they'd forgotten how they should love one another. You see, they were so consumed with with doing church right. They were so concerned with having right doctrine and and right policy and, and all this stuff that they had somehow lost sight of, well, what John, who wrote this letter through the power of the Spirit, was seeing them because when you read John, you're gonna find time and time again, you're gonna find John writing words like this, love one another. They'd forgotten how to love one another. And so in verse five, We read these words. The word of the Lord through John says, Look how far you have fallen. Yeah, you're doing the right things. You've protected doctrine. Your policies, woo, solid. But in your pursuit of all of those things, you have forgotten the most important love. Look how far you've fallen to turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Why would I show you this verse? Because I think in this verse, and if we could just leave this verse up, I find the things that must take place for you and I to get right with God. There, there, there are some things in this verse as we draw this revival circle around us and we pray for God to bring it. Listen, God wants to, as he steps into the person's life that is in this circle, some things that must happen for us to get right with God for revival to happen. You need to remember. Look how far you have fall. You need to remember. And can you remember a time in which you would say, man, I, my relationship with God was strong. Do you remember what that was like? Some of you right now, some men, right now, that's where I'm at. God and I are tight. We're awesome. Then there's deeper revelation. My relationship was fiery hot. It's strong right now. But for some of us, maybe we can't declare that right now. But do you remember a time in which your relationship with God was just, man, it was the best of the best? You need to remember that. You need to remember those things that you were a part of and doing, right? He goes on to say that, but hey, listen, there's another thing, not only remembering what that relationship was like, but hey, for some of us, in order to get right with God, we're going to have to repent. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand, he says. Maybe there's some things in your life that have crept in, they've snuck in. It wasn't some big, bold move that you made that just, but there's just been over the course of time, some things, and maybe you're not as close to the Lord as you need to be right now, Do you need to repent of some of those things. You remember what it was like, but now it's not. Maybe today that circle work that needs to happen in your life is to repent of those things. And then we need to repeat those things. Turn back and do the works you did at first. He says, you need to repeat those things that you used to do when your relationship with God was strong and intact. Maybe for some of you, I was spending time in the Word daily. Maybe I was spending enormous amounts of time in prayer. Hey, worship music was more prevalent than college game day in my home, right? What was that? What was it like? Repeat those things. Those things that were a part of your life that once brought you into such sweet union with the Father. Listen, God stands ready. He stands ready and he wants to spark a revival in us. But that revival that he's gonna bring starts in you. Starts in every one of us. I'm responsible for revival. Revival. Listen, God's the one that's going to do the work of revival. God does it. But I just can't help but think that God is waiting on us to ignite it, to ignite the plan, to bring what he wants to bring, to, to do what he's got envisioned. It was already mapped out before you and I ever showed up on the scene. But I think today God just said, hey, listen need you to ignite what I want to do. I want to set you ablaze. I want others to watch you burn. You now I'm reminded when I read that there's some attitudes that are necessary for us that are proper in order for us to see revival happen. The word in scripture would say that the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says, I live in the holy In high place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed of the humble. The spirit, the crushed spirit of the humble. And I revive, there it is. I revive the courage of those with repentance hearts. You know what our proper attitude is in that verse? We have to have a humble spirit. We have to have a contrite or repentant heart. Listen, are there some things in your life that in order for revival to break out, you need to deal with? How does revival need to come to your circle and in your life first before it can be spread throughout this church? See, revival is corporate, yes. But revival is personal first. It starts with us. As we allow the Lord to set us Ablaze. I love this quote by John Wesley. He said, give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. Wow. Could you be a part of that 100? Would you be willing, Mark, to do the work and let the spirit just come in and, and do a work in you and your personal world first and and as God does that in other people, can you begin to see John Wesley was onto something, right? He was on, he knew some stuff. That when people are broken because of their sin and when we're totally consumed with God, watch out what he can do in our world. The prophet Joel prophesied in 228 of a day in which the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. It's interesting in Acts chapter two, when Peter preaches Pentecost, those are the words that he preached and 3,000 were saved from Pentecost to the day. God is wanting to pour his spirit out on his people. And it starts with us individually. R.A. Torrey, who was another evangelist, said this. He says, "I, I can give you the prescription that will bring a revival to any church or community or any city on earth. And he started with what I just unpacked for you today. He said, first let a few Christians, they need not be many, but let a few Christians get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest of what I'm about to tell you will mean nothing. R.A. Torrey was saying it's revival starts with us individually getting right. But he had two other things that he wanted to share with us in relation to revival as well. He said, secondly, then, if you will bind yourselves together in a prayer group to pray for a revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. So I'm gonna get right. I'm gonna begin to pray with other believers for revival. And third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use as he sees fit and winning others to Christ. And then he says, that's all. That's the prescription for revival. Can I invite you to stand with me this morning? And I want us to have some time with the father down front today at the altar. And I just want to invite you to come for those of you that feel led to and for us just to begin to pray and, personally seek the lord for revival and here's how i want us to pray today instead of us praying about god would you just change that situation whatever that situation is to you what if you were to begin to pray god would you change me or 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 what about instead of hey god would you just change that person come on you know how jacked up and flawed that hey god would you change that person What if your prayer simply became, Lord, I need you to change me. Isn't it easy for us to pray for other situations to be changed and for other people to be changed? But yet we neglect what I believe is the most important work, the work in our lives of what God wants to do. The altar's open. You come as the Spirit of God leads you. And as we pray and as we seek him and as we seek a move of God, as we seek revival, let's make this our prayer. Lord, here we are. Would you do a work in us right now, Father? Would you do a work in me right now, God? God, I'm not asking you to change that other person. I'm not asking you to change that other situation. God, I kneel before you today in your presence, God, and I'm asking you, God, do a work in me hallelujah 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 do a work in us lord lord send revival lord the revival we need starts in us do a work in me god lord do a work in this circle that i'm sitting in today god Lord, I'm not concerned about what's outside this circle. I can't control that. But God, I can't control who sits in this circle. And that's me, Lord. Would you do a work? Do a work, Lord.